0: Welcome to the Real Truth Matters Podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM Podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham.
1: Thanks, Dan, and welcome to the podcast. Last episode, we attempted to begin to understand what faith really is. Thus far, we have discovered the faith is the ability to see reality about a particular subject or situation. It is the God-given insight to see how the spiritual aspect of reality is weighing in on the physical part of reality and bringing about God's agenda. Now, at the heart of faith is the ability to perceive and know God personally. And, of course, that's always its heartbeat. But when we go beyond God himself, God brings to us reality of particular situations that you and I confront. The question that I'm sure to be on our lips is, how do I get this kind of faith? How does it work in me? And the answer is that that faith is implanted in the soul. It's a gift given to you by God. It's his work in you. Now, how does he do that? How does he give us faith? Well, first, God gives faith through the agency of his word. And that's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 7, 8, and 11. God instills faith by making you to hear the word of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah had the faith to build an ark because God spoke to him and instructed him on the coming flood and how to build the ark. It was God's word that engendered faith in Noah. The author drops a second clue proving the instrumentality of the word of God in verse 8 when he discusses the faith of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. Now, what motivates a man in his seventies to tell his wife to pack the luggage because they were moving? And when, as any wife would do, ask where they were moving, all Abraham can say is, I don't know. That must have been some discussion. I can only imagine that Sarah proceeded in her inquiry, being a dutiful wife that respectfully is trying to get her husband to see reality. And so she asks a second question. Well, dear, if you don't know where we're moving, how will you know when we get there? To which Abraham can only say, as before, I don't know. But then Abraham explains to his wife that God spoke to him, and while God spoke to Abraham, Something happened on the inside of him. He had a persuasion that what the voice was saying was true and that he must obey. In short, Abraham trusted and obeyed. The invincible and inevitable two sides to the same coin called faith, trust, and obedience. Years later, Sarah would know for herself, in a very personal way, the experience of hearing God's voice. Reread in verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. For years Sarah knew only what Abraham relayed to her when God spoke to him, but this time she heard the promise personally and faith was born. Faith comes to life when God's word creates it. It happened that way when we were converted, and it happens that way from then on. The Apostle Paul states the law of faith in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Too many make the mistake of equating knowing with believing. Now, I've thoroughly dealt with this over and again in this podcast, but knowing history and human nature tells me I I can't repeat it too much. You can know something to be true, but not put your faith in what you know. Knowledge is necessary, yes, but it isn't enough. Paul proves this statement by a series of rhetorical questions starting at verse 14 of the 10th chapter of Romans. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? But then Paul shows us that knowledge by itself is insufficient. In verse 16, he cites the prophet Isaiah as proof that just hearing truth and even believing that it is factual is not enough. Romans chapter 10 Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Isaiah preached the inspired word of God. What he declared to his generation was revealed scripture. It was, as Paul says, the gospel. But just hearing the gospel does not save, because auditory hearing alone does not create faith in the heart. Too many in the church world work under an illusion that if we can simply educate people about the gospel, they'll become believers. But education, although necessary, how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? It by itself will not spark faith. Isaiah is Paul's exhibit one. Exhibit two is creation in verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, they're sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Here Paul quotes from Psalm 19, revealing that the handiwork of God in creation is a kind of communication from God. But again, no one is convinced by this kind of communication, even though it is God's creative genius reflected in nature. In between those two verses, Paul delivers his conclusion. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing By the word of God, there is a faith that comes by hearing. You can hear the gospel preached, but that doesn't guarantee that you will believe. That's the whole point of quoting Isaiah, Lord, who has believed our report? There is a different kind of hearing that generates faith in the heart. This kind of hearing is very different because although the communication's content is the same, the method of delivery is different. God speaks directly and personally to the human heart, and that word is effectual. In fact, some have called it that. It's called the effectual call of God. How many times did you hear the gospel or read about it in gospel literature before you truly believed? I preached it hundreds of times before I believed it. Most of us heard the gospel many times but didn't have faith to follow the Christ. Why then did you believe when you did? What was different that day that had not happened earlier? And I tell you, it is one thing and one thing only. It was the revelation of God to you. In other words, God opened the understanding of your spirit and made you to see its reality. Jesus confirms this in his comment to Peter's confession in Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 and following. Jesus asked, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Peter responded in verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now listen carefully to the Lord in his reply to Peter blessed are you simon barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven peter's confession is not the result of mere logic and deduction rather it was supernatural it was revelatory god had taught peter the truth about jesus and that is the rock that God is building his church upon. He is building it on the supernatural intervention that he performs when he opens the eyes of the spiritually blind and causes them to see the truth and the glory of Christ. It is not the mere deduction of flesh and blood. It is in every sense of the word illumination from above. The Holy Spirit takes the truth heard and even believed upon with the mind, and He gives it life and power so that faith is begotten in the heart, and with the heart one believes unto salvation. I must say it again. You cannot educate someone into the kingdom of God. Yes, of course, auditory hearing and mental comprehension are necessary, but they in themselves are not enough. They are insufficient to convert. God must set the captive free, unbound the shackled heart, enslaved in the darkness of depravity, bewitched by the delusion of the devil. It is no more and no less than what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. To be born again means to be born from above. The Lord conceives and births the newborn into his family by the agency of this effectual word or call. It enlivens the inert. It resurrects the dead and it makes the blind to see. God exerts life. By his spoken word to the heart and the mind of the sinner, and they see, come alive, they believe it can't be said any other way, no matter how the progressive wants to reword and rephrase it. This new birth is miraculous. Jesus taught the very same thing, but we somehow have lost its significance. Perhaps for too long, we've heard too much preaching that called for men to make a decision for Christ come forward in a religious service so that we have forgotten our Lord's emphatic statement. He said in John 6, verses 44 and 45, that illumination is required for the sinner to believe. Here's what he said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. They have both heard and learned from the Father. Now, friend, that is a personal and direct word to the guilty soul that causes them to come to their senses and arise and go to Christ, something personal occurs between God and man. The Lord directly makes the human heart to perceive and understand the truth about Christ. The Apostle Paul compared the salvation of a sinner to the created origin of the heavens and the earth. As God spoke the world into existence, God speaks to the deadness of the human soul where there is no spiritual life, and when he does, life explodes and transformation happens. A new world opens up to the newly born. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the same way, this creative Word of God brings life and faith to the sinner and changes them into a saint, God speaks immediately and directly to the spirit of a Christian. When this happens, faith is born to believe God for the glimpse of reality He's disclosed to the individual who has been blessed to hear that faith-creating Word. This process happens once we are saved and become a Christian. Faith in God about a given situation is created in the believer's heart by a personal direct word of God. It's eye-opening. It's immediate. It is the activity of God. No better biblical illustration of the need of God to grant illumination, if we already know something to be true, is from the upper room, the night of the resurrection. You see, you can even know something to be true and still not have faith. Jesus appeared to the huddled future apostles who were hiding behind locked doors and closed windows. They saw the risen Savior, and, and yet, as they looked upon him, they could not believe their eyes. They refused to accept even empirical data. That's what the text says in Luke 24:41 and following. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. To reinforce the empirical evidence of his bodily resurrection, Jesus asked for something to eat. He did this to prove he just wasn't a spirit, but he truly had bodily arose from the grave. And Luke continues and says in verse 44, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then we have this interesting statement. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Despite hearing Jesus expound the scripture for three and a half years, that he must die and rise again, they just simply could not believe. Earlier that day, they had received numerous reports from eyewitnesses that Jesus was alive. But not until Jesus opened their understanding, meaning he did a work of illumination in each of them, they finally believed it for themselves. Now listen carefully. God must do the same for us. He must bestow illumination, that special light that opens the understanding to grasp the truth and reality of both the physical and spiritual aspects of reality. And when he does, faith is born to believe that particular reality. Often, if not almost exclusively, this happens while reading the Bible. And a verse that you've read several times suddenly is quickened to both mind and heart and faith arises and lays hold of that truth. The result is the truth impacts your life. You see it, you experience it, and you're changed by it. The same happens as you're listening to a sermon and something is said. You may have heard it many times before, but on that occasion, the word is accompanied by the grace of faith and the impact of life comes to you. Now, friends, this is a missing element, an all-important element in understanding how faith works. People are trying to believe God for things he has not said. Now, please get this: It's the truth of scripture, and it's confirmed in experience. Here's what you must understand: You cannot believe God for what he has not said. You cannot believe God for what he Has not said. The author to the Hebrews shows us that the men we consider great men of faith only believed because God had spoken to them, and that word created their faith in God. This is what's proven in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Why did he move with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith because God spoke to Noah. And Noah could only believe God for what God had said, no more. And the same is true about Abraham. Again, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. Here's why a man tells his wife, pack the bags, we're moving. And when she asks where we're going, he has to say, I don't know. Well, how are you going to know when you get there? I don't know. But this I do know, God has said it, and it's real to me. We're living in a time when the prevalent idea about faith is that if we have enough faith, then God must respond. But ignoring, if not rejecting the truth, this truth I'm communicating today that faith comes by God's word, makes us to believe that faith works independent of God. What matters to so many is not what God has said, but what they say. It's nothing but hellish arrogance to believe that we can obligate God or that He is something of a cosmic slave to our whims and wishes. The result has been to breed a mass of people in churches who are absolutely despondent. They're full of discouragement, despairing that they don't have enough faith to move the mountain. Oh, faith can move mountains, but only mountains that God has said need moving. It's only the mountain that God has said will move that faith can move. Interestingly, no apostle ever commanded a mountain to be cast into the sea. Why not? Because faith is from God, and it can only believe what God has said. If God doesn't say a mountain needs removing, then it doesn't matter how much you confess and claim your miracle. The mountains stay unremoved. Remember the components or ingredients of faith. That's why we went through that first. One ingredient is the object of faith, and the object of faith is always God alone. Faith that is real and works is the faith that has eyes only for Jesus. Any faith that has a self-focus is a faith not heaven-born, nor is it a faith that works. It may be many things, but it isn't faith more than not, it's self-hypnosis, a psychological phenomenon that manipulates the weak-minded. But it will not move the heart of God. Therefore, you cannot trust God for something He has not said. I'm asked all the time, why is it that something someone has fervently prayed for has not been answered? Ofttimes, it is prayer for healing or a loved one's salvation that I'm asked about. Recently, I was asked that question, and the person inquiring did so with Many tears. The biblical answer is that none of us, no matter the degree of devotion and consecration to God, can exercise faith for something God has not birthed in our hearts by His Word. At best, we can pray with a genuine faith that knows God is able to do the thing we ask. But without the faith inducing Word that knows the thing asked will be granted, we cannot pray with that kind of certainty. The Lord may grant the thing we ask because he's a good, loving, and merciful father. But the kind of faith that we're dealing with here in Hebrews 11 is a faith that is accompanied with full assurance. The assurance comes from knowing that the thing believed is God's will. And we know God's will by his word. Listen to the apostle John in his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Let me repeat. There is a faith that is biblical, that has complete confidence in God, no matter the situation. It's a faith that doesn't need to know what the will of God is concerning the circumstance, it's a faith that's settled in the good character of God. It believes Him to do the most loving and kind thing we need. It's a faith that Romans 8, 28 is built upon. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. This is a faith that the Word of God has formed in us based upon the truth of God's person, His heart, and His ways revealed to us in the Scriptures. It is a faith built upon the revealed Word of God. It's a kind of faith that sustains us constantly when we must walk without any knowledge of the outcome. This faith needs no new light or new word. It thrives on what it knows about God. It has already heard from God. It rests in a God who is too good to be unkind and too wise to make a mistake. It's a faith built by the Word of God and not about the reality of any challenge you may face. It is a confidence in the reality of God himself, a God immutably, unchangeably good. Therefore, whether the reality that faith sees about the person of God or a reality about a specific need, faith is always brought into existence by the word of God and is nourished by it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's as the psalmist has said in Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. Well, in our next episode, we'll continue to work on a definition of faith that explains how faith functions in and for us. So please join us next week. Every Tuesday, we release a new episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast, and if you enjoyed this podcast and find it helpful, please share it with others and bless them with the opportunity to tune in and join us. Before I leave you today, I want to tell you that we're making available my book, The Fight of Faith, How a Christian Can Experience Assurance of Salvation, and if you'd like a copy, you can get it for a reduced price while we're discussing faith on this podcast. You can secure your copy for $9.99. We also offer an ebook format for $7.99. All you need to do is go to the RTM website, www.realtruthmatters.com. Realtruthmatters, all one word, .com. And there you can follow the link to the book. And while you're at the website, take advantage of the wealth of resources that are there for free download. Well, please join us again next week as we continue to work through the biblical data that will give us a working definition of faith. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters Ministries, thank you for tuning in, and may the Lord richly bless you with His love in a real and tangible way.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.